You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Welcome to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I'm glad to have you along with me today. Here on the podcast, we emphasize discovering you on the journey through. And what that means to me is I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it right through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. In this episode, we are talking about how to handle toxic relationships. We talk quite a bit here on the podcast about abuse and domestic violence. And in this episode, we're also going to talk about just some of those unhealthy relationships that maybe aren't necessarily fully abusive, although they could be, but perhaps are just not healthy for you to be engaged in. My guest for this conversation is Gary Thomas. And one of the things that I super appreciate about Gary's approach to unhealthy relationship dynamics is the fact that he comes at it from a spiritual lens. I've read a lot of material about dysfunctional relationships, but so often they're based in psychology. And while that is very informative, it doesn't have the same freeing power that the word of God has. Gary discusses the biblical approach to understanding toxic relationships and how they are actually a spiritual attack on our God-given mission. Gary also gives a biblical context for understanding how to deal with toxic relationships and when to walk away. Gary also talks about how we can keep from reacting to a toxic person to maintain our peace and how we can keep from being toxic to ourselves. Being toxic to yourself just means not being kind to yourself and not seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And very often that can cause dysfunction in our relationships that leads to a long-term experience with loneliness. I've created a quiz over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz called What's Your Loneliness Type? And if you'd like to take that quiz and it'll take you only a couple of minutes, you'll have the ability to identify some of the things that you might be believing or doing that are contributing to a long-term experience with loneliness. But then it'll also give you some ideas of what you can do about it. Again, that quiz is over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas's writing and speaking focuses on bringing people closer to Christ and closer to others. He's the author of 20 books that together have sold over 2 million copies. And these books include When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. He serves on the teaching team at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, a congregation with six campuses and 70,000 members. And he's also an adjunct faculty member at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. Gary and his wife, Lisa, have been married for 35 years, and they have three adult children and the cutest, smartest, most adorable granddaughter on the planet. All of us have those very difficult relationships, whether that's a family member, a friend, a coworker, someone in your community. And as you listen to this episode, I hope that you will gain some insight into those situations and gain a sense of what it is that you might need to do in those situations. Here's my conversation with Gary Thomas. Gary, I'm excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and this is so such a treat for me because some of your work has helped me personally deal with toxic situations. <laughs> and what I love, though, is yeah. I've read a lot of books from the psychological angle and right. focus so much on the spiritual, which I think right. is also critical. Right. So for listeners who maybe haven't read your material or haven't come across your content, can you help us start off with a framework of how we can understand toxic people and toxic relationships as something that are sort of a spiritual affront to our God-given mission? Yeah. Let me try with sort of a funny little interaction between my wife and I that sort of explain, I think, the need for it. Uh, my wife may be the healthiest eater in the world. 
It's got to be organic, locally grown, locally, all of those things. For years, she's been after me uh, to get on an elimination diet. Have you ever done one of those, Michelle? Yes. yes. Where you <laughs> get a blood test and they give you a list of things that you can't eat. And for somebody like me, it's everything I like. Um, yes. I, I, I can't eat. And so, and it was really just abysmal timing. I did it over one of my birthdays. And the reason that's so bad is I only eat cake and ice cream twice a year because of the fat, calorie, sugar, um, Father's Day and my birthday. So I'm doing this over my birthday. And a friend had had us over for dinner and I had to watch five other people eat my birthday cake and ice cream. And so afterwards, I'm telling my wife, I just can't wait till this thing is over. You have no idea how I'm going to splurge. And that's when she informed me, you can't just get off an elimination. It takes weeks, if not months, to get off an elimination diet. So what are you talking about? She goes, well, you add a few things at a time. I'm like, what what do you mean? She goes, well, you tested positive for cranberries. So the first couple of days, we'll give you some cranberries and see how it works. Michelle, I don't even like cranberries. (laughs) I, I eat cranberries to be polite on Thanksgiving. And so I just, what doctor from hell thought up this diet? But here's the thing. The purpose is that there are some foods that may not put you in the hospital, but they keep you from having a flourishing life. Maybe you have sinus congestion, you're lethargic, you have headaches, you don't get the right sleep. And so because it doesn't put you in the hospital, you think, well, I, I can handle them. They're, they're okay, but they are toxic to you. And if you want the most flourishing life, you need to get rid of those foods. I think the same thing is true for our relationships. There are toxic people. They may not put us in an insane asylum. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not make us go crazy. They may not be physically abusing us, but they're not healthy for us. They haunt us. When we even see their name come up on our phone, our blood pressure goes through the roof. When we're with healthy, involved in healthy relationships, memories of them haunt us. They destroy our joy so that we just feel spiritually weak. They destroy our self-confidence. They're often masters at gaslighting. And if you lose your self-confidence, you're not going to speak up with other friends. You're going to say, well, nobody cares about what I think anyway, because I, I, I can't, I don't know which way is up, which way is down, which way is left, which way is right. And, and so basically it's, it's recognizing that just as there are toxic foods, there are toxic people. And for the sake of your own spiritual health and psychological health, and, and I believe the call on your life, the ministry that God might want to give to you. You need to weed those toxic people out of your life. Uh, but too often, we, we don't treat how they make us mentally and spiritually sick as seriously as how we might treat eggs that would make us sick or gluten mm. that would make us sick or dairy that would make us sick. That's a fantastic analogy. And I also love that you pointed to the fact that this is all designed to immobilize us. This is to break down our confidence so that we don't speak up or we don't walk in the things that we know to be true and that we doubt ourselves and just kind of shrink back from what God has for us in a flourishing life. Now, you very pointedly mentioned that a person can be toxic for you. So can you help us to understand that way of looking at it and how we can discern if a person is perhaps maybe just toxic to us? Well, if somebody is getting in the way of you being who God created you to be or doing what God created you to do, for you, that person is toxic. Because I use toxic in terms of protecting your mission before God. I believe if you're a believer, you have the most important message. You can tell others about how God is reconciling the world uh, to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit who is powerful within you. You have God's word to guide you. I think people downplay their importance because they may not have a national ministry or a, a podcast like you, but, but God uses everyday people. He built the early church on everyday people like that. And so don't discount the importance of you operating with spiritual confidence, spiritual joy, spiritual peace. And if somebody is tearing that apart, like like I mentioned, if they're gaslighting you so that you lose your self-confidence, you you won't speak up. You think you have nothing to say. And and I've seen that where people that I believe that God has called to, to ministries of teaching, certainly ministries of counsel, they become shells of themselves. They're too cowed to say anything. And so you're you're not just protecting yourself as important as that is, but I'm not a psychologist. So there are better books for that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about protecting your ministry 
and your calling. But I don't think that should be minimized because I think it's when we're walking in our calling and God is using us that we have the most joy. We, we have the most happiness. We're most excited about life because that's what God created us to do. And so what I found is um, I'm not into tearing others down, but if somebody's toxic for me, I feel like they're controlling me. I feel like for whatever reason, I just feel diminished and dehumanized around them. I'm going to separate myself from them. I I don't want to waste time going on a crusade against them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there might be circumstances if I see them praying on somebody I love where I have to put in a word or two just as a loving warning. But I, I, I look at toxic people sort of like driving on the highway. Uh, and this is going to sound terrible, Michelle, but <laughs> if I see trash on the highway, I'm not going to stop and pick it up. And I'm going to mm-hmm. tell everybody there's trash on the highway. But if it's blocking the road, okay, then I got to get out of my car. I got to move it just so I can keep driving. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want toxic people to have more of my time and thoughts than I absolutely have to give them. But I know if they're toxic toward me, God's got somebody else that can deal with them. I don't have to be used to save everyone, to warn everyone, to counsel mm-hmm. everyone. I want to be used where I'm most effective. And, and so the irony for me is that trying to deal with toxic people it, it gave me a new dose of my own humility. I'm not the one to reach out to everyone. I'm not responsible for everyone. Some people are better suited to reach others than I am. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm writing someone else, I, I'm not. I'm not condemning them to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, I can't help you. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, here's what I love. A good friend of mine, marriage and family therapist, very healthy, wise, been working with people for over 35 years. He just said, Gary, if somebody came into your offices at the church and they had a really sore tooth, they said, man, I need a root canal, but I can't afford to go to a dentist. I, I believe you're a man of God. Would you do the root canal for me? He goes, there's no universe where you would agree to do that. You would be arrested if you tried to do it, even though you care about their pain mm-hmm. because you're not qualified to do that. And, and Michelle, I think if we're dealing with certain certified individuals that are psychologically toxic, we shouldn't feel guilty that we're not trained to deal with them without being eaten up. Mm-hmm. They need a professional. And in most cases, that's not us. It's certainly not me. And so it just gave me a new freedom to be able to walk away. Now, you mentioned gaslighting, Gary. For a person who's not exactly familiar with what that really looks like, what that means, can you give us a little bit of an understanding? Yeah. yeah. I think we need to take it more seriously than we do. Gaslighting is a particularly cruel activity. Well, I've seen it. It's used in different ways. Sometimes it's used when a husband might be caught in a sin and he makes his wife think she's crazy for believing what is clearly true. How could you believe that or this or that? And so she starts to lose this sense of maybe I've lost my mind because he's so insistent that this isn't true. Mm -hmm. And yet it's hard for me not to believe it's true. And so then, well, you haven't forgiven me or you, you just have your own issues or whatnot. And, And so it can shatter someone's brain. And the reason that's so cruel is that the Bible tells us, Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's such a key component of what helps us relate to others, how we grow, how we relate to God. If you start to mess with someone's mind so that they don't even know what they believe or what is true, you're, you're undercutting the foundation of who they are mm-hmm. and how they reach out to others. So I know this is a long answer. Let me try to give a technical definition. It's making somebody feel crazy for believing what's true. Mm, that is the best, most concise answer, actually, I have ever heard. <laughs> and and what, well, I'm sorry, Michelle, but why it's so dangerous is it's typically mixed with abusive behavior or something or unfaithful behavior. Mm-hmm. And the danger is just when a woman needs discernment to figure out what's really going on, he takes away her most powerful tool to be able to reason through all that's going on. So it enables him to keep cheating, to keep being abusive, to use psychological tricks to keep her in an unhealthy place. And so it's sort of like the multiplier of abuse Mm -hmm. and it removes the defenses. And it's, um, again, I think if you're messing with somebody's mind, you're, you're becoming particularly cruel. And I think that's one of those things. Women will often get the question, why did you stay? And it's because so often 
you can't see it because this is happening. This person that you trust to give you the truth is intentionally giving you a lie and a deception and a false narrative. And because this is a love relationship, you have the expectation that this person is going to honor you and not try to mess with your head, but that's not what's happening. And in not being able to discern what's going on, it creates this instability and a sense of, well, is it me? And when we can get though outside of that and we're able to look at the facts as they really are and use the God-given discernment that we have available to us, then we can start to get free from some of this bondage. Not every toxic person tries to control, but a lot of them do. And gaslighting is just a form of control. Mm -hmm. I want you to do what I want you to do. In a healthy relationship, in a healthy marriage, Two people are releasing each other to seek first the kingdom of God. God is their Lord. God is their king. God is their, that's who they live for. Mm -hmm. The toxic person tries to put himself in that place. And so that's where gaslighting comes in. I'm going to control your mind. I'm going to control your emotions. I'm going to control what you do. That's not God at all. It's not God's methods. Joshua says in the Old Testament, choose you this day whom you will serve. God gives you, God says, I'm, I'm the one I want to be your, I, w- I want to be your Lord, but you have to choose me. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. This is the book of revelation. If you open the door, I'll come and eat with you. I'm not going to break down the door. Mm-hmm. When you talk about control, you're really talking about demonic methods. While the new Testament talks about demonic possession, the Bible never talks about being possessed by the Holy spirit. I mean, we're filled with the spirit. Spirit, mm-hmm. but Paul says the spirit of the prophets is subject to control of the prophets. So, God's method is to speak the truth and to give you the chance to decide yes or no. Coercion, control, um, bringing chaos—that's those are the methods Satan uses. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody's using those methods to control your mind, to control your emotions, just know you're already in dangerous territory. Mm, That's powerful though. I think to know spiritually which side we're lining up on and who really our enemy truly is in this kind of a situation. And one of the first steps of freedom though also is being able to call it out to say, this is toxic or this is wickedness. And you mentioned that in your book. And I know a lot of women though are not sure whether or not this is, name calling or if this is kind of stooping to their level. So how can we understand the difference between identifying and correctly labeling a behavior and name calling? Michelle, I think we need to make a distinction just for practical purposes between labeling and name calling. Name calling is intended to hurt. You want to wound somebody. Maybe you want to slander somebody. Labeling is simply a practical, necessary tool to help you understand what's going on. It's like a doctor saying, this is cancer. Mm -hmm. You need to stop smoking or we need to take it out. The doctor's explaining, this is why I need to cut into you. You've got cancer. We've got to remove it. It's necessary for you to know the label. So you know how to respond because toxic people don't respond like healthy people Mm -hmm. Um, in a healthy relationship. You could say that hurts me. If you say that to a toxic person, they start to salivate. Mm -hmm. They, they, some of them, I, I know this sounds sick and I was naive to this for far too long. They get a perverse pleasure out of mm-hmm. causing hurt. So it's like it's like you've just sharpened their knives. And they're like, oh, good. I mean, I, I've got more of this coming. And so labeling is essential for self protection to know what we're going on. And the thing about feeling guilt, I, I, I get it. Um, but Jesus used labels. He he taught, called Herod a fox in Luke thirteen thirty two. Now, I grew up. In 70s and 80s, when if you were called the fox, you would have made my day. That was a mm-hmm. positive term <laughs> back when we wore star jeans and I had feathered hair. Um, it wasn't that in the day of Herod. That was considered a vermin. It was considered tough. He he warned the disciples about the Pharisees and Herod. He, he talked about them. He labeled the Pharisees during his famous woes in 
in Matthew 23, calling them out hypocrites and whatnot. Paul used labels. Um, you see that in Acts chapter 13. Um, and even other apostles in scripture warned people about someone who is taking on a destructive path. So when it's to protect others, when it's to apply appropriate spiritual remedies, the Bible is clear that labeling is, is necessary. Now, I, I don't put a label in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say in my view, this person is, is toxic. Um, if it goes on and it's not addressed, there might be a place for that. But even there, you're not doing it as an act of name calling to hurt. You're doing it as a label to protect. So I think it really goes to motivation. Um, and whenever somebody is talking to you and saying, well, you can't talk to a counselor about this, or you can't talk to a, a, a pastor about this because that would be gossip. Again, I think that's gaslighting and controlling in one sense, because I, I would never tell my wife she can't talk to somebody if she's got concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think in a healthy situation, you want to seek understanding. And the reality is, Michelle, if I'm acting in a way that needs to be called out, I want to be called out. And I think every per- healthy person does. I think people listening to this would say, yeah, if I'm if I'm being a jerk, I would rather my friend say, you're, you're kind of being a jerk rather than let me keep being um, a jerk. But uh, toxic people, they, they resent it in large part because it undercuts their platform. Labeling isn't gossip when it's used for redemptive purposes. When you're trying to figure out, this is how I should respond. This is how I should get help. This is how I should learn to interact with this person. I think that's a holy pursuit, not a not an evil one. Absolutely. And I think what you're pointing to really is this concept of diagnosis. I need to know what it is that I'm dealing yes. with. And as I've researched this myself, for example, the book of Proverbs gives nearly 10 different words for a fool. And they all describe a variety of behaviors, everything down to just being somewhat naive to going upwards into being completely depraved. And so we have to understand that even in Proverbs, the way we're supposed to handle this spectrum of even, you know, just foolish behavior, that there are different instructions given where a person might be on that continuum. And that was the way that Jesus treated people. There were some people that, yes, you can speak to and others he would say, shake the dust off of your cloak and keep moving because these people are not going to listen to you. So can you highlight some of that a little bit though, the way that Jesus did deal with these things? Yeah. Well, I think we need to distinguish between different kinds of toxic people. There are mean toxic people that I think we just need to walk away from. And there are needy toxic people that we still may need to walk away from, but maybe with the gentler thing. Mm -hmm. If somebody is just needy because they're hurt, but they're acting in a toxic way, um, and you know, I don't have the relationship with them where it would be appropriate, but I'm going to be a little more gentle with them. Um, but when somebody is toxic in the sense of aggressive and abusive, I go back to Matthew 7, 6, when Jesus, after just telling the disciples to go on the offensive, Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, let me just say, he's saying that not to professional paid religious people. There weren't any when he was talking about, mm-hmm. when he's talking that he, he, he was talking to grandparents and parents and farmers and tradespeople and wives and kids. He says, you can be used to build God's kingdom. You should go on the offense. You get to wake up and think what's more important than my comfort, my enrichment, my reputation, bringing forward the kingdom of God. It's a glorious call. But then seven verses later, Matthew 7, 6, He says, but don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine or else they'll turn and tear you to pieces. Mm. Now, when he says dogs there in Matthew 7, 6, you want to go back to name calling. Jews didn't keep dogs as pets. Egyptians did, not Jews. So he's not talking about Fifi or my daughter's beloved Quincy, a Cavalier King Charles (laughs) that will melt your heart. He's talking about these rangy foul-mouthed vermin, you know, that's how they were considered the scum that would just go around garbage dumps. And pigs in Jerusalem, I think people get that they weren't exactly looked at as exalted animals. So, Jesus is saying, look, you, you have these pearls. You could give them, they were so valuable back then. I mean, people wouldn't have strings of pearls like they do today. Remember, Jesus referred to a man who sold everything he had 
for one pearl. I mean, this was high currency. So you're saying you're giving them something so valuable. It might be a word of truth. Do you realize you really turn people off instead of bring them in? Or you realize you really might be a narcissist or Jesus is the way for you to find healing? I mean, it could be completely true words. Jesus, there's nothing wrong with the pearl. You're giving them something more valuable, but a pig doesn't know a pearl is valuable. A toxic person doesn't know truth is valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's not that you're saying it wrong or that you're saying the wrong thing. It's that a toxic person really can't receive it or even recognize it as something to be worthwhile. And so they'll resent it. How dare you come back at me and they'll try and turn and tear you to pieces. Just by giving that warning, Michelle, it tells me that Jesus is saying, I don't want that for you. Mm-hmm. I want you to go on the offense, but you have to learn how to play a little bit of defense. You, you're not a, a Kleenex to me. I'm sorry, this sounded gross that I use and then throw <laughs> you away. Yeah. You're, you're God's precious daughter. Mm-hmm. You, you're my daughters. I love you. I want you to be effective. But it doesn't give me pleasure if you're torn up. It doesn't give me pleasure when people abuse you or persecute you. That's not what I'm asking you to do. And people say, well, Jesus will take up your cross. And Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He did. But here's the thing. If you read all of the Gospels, there are almost half a dozen cases where Jesus said to people who wanted to kill him or abuse him or hurt him, not today. He went to a different city. He slipped through the crowd and they weren't able to find him. He said, no, you don't get me to beat me up today. And so one time, because it was his father's will, he laid down his life. And we all need to be willing to do the same. But it doesn't mean that every time we need to allow ourselves to be persecuted or abused. Most of the time, Paul said, no, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't beat me. Sometimes he allowed people to hit him. So just... This is just a pastoral warning that it's not always God's will for you to take it. Mm-hmm. It's far more often God's will for you to walk away. You have Matthew 7, 6. We have the example of Jesus walking away so often himself. Um, that's the normative approach, I think, when we're being abused or confronting toxic people. I think a part of this too, Gary, is not just even physically walking away or physically removing ourselves from the situation, but there's an emotional component of this too, because we can allow someone's toxicity to get inside of us, to cause us to be reactive, that even though we may have left the situation or we might not be dealing with them at this time or whatever the case might be, that we still become reactive or we become reactive when we do have to engage with them again. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go. And it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. So how can we adjust things for us internally so that we are not becoming reactive to that toxicity? One of the reasons I'm quicker to walk away than I used to be, Michelle, is because I'm never more tempted to be a toxic person than when I'm dealing with a toxic person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They control me. I want to control them back. They get forceful with me. I want to be forceful. And and so I have to realize when I'm in over my head, I'm not going to play one-on-one basketball with LeBron James, right? I'm not going to challenge Roger Federer mm-hmm. to a tennis match or Serena Williams. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know when I'm overmatched. And I think sometimes that's all you need to know. If you're in a situation where you realize, man, this person, they're just driving me crazy. They're controlling me. Toxic people are usually better at being toxic then we are dealing with them. They've been toxic their whole lives, mm-hmm. most of their adult lives. And we're not, we don't deal with that many people. Now you said, what you said is right. Walking away is often the first step. Then we have to mentally walk away. Mm-hmm. And here's what I found is most helpful. Two things. One, the whole point of the book, I mean, people haven't read it. It's not just to walk away from toxic people, but to walk toward reliable people that, that we should be investing in healthy relationships. 
rather than try to argue with a toxic person for 30 minutes, there's some people, if I just called them up for a three-minute call, I'm thinking about you, praying for you, encouraging you, I appreciate this about you, it would make their day. Mm-hmm. I would rather have five positive interactions with people where I can bless them or be blessed by them. Hey, I just need to hear voices. It's, it's, I've been lonely day. It's a tough day. Just wanted to see how you're doing. So I'm, I'm mentally switching from messing with the toxic, even if it's a fantasy fight in my head. No, I'm not going to think about him. I'm going to call this friend. And I have a list. <laughs> literally six or seven good friends where I'm, I'm just circulating through them where I just know it's healthy for me to be interacting with me. They inspire me. They encourage me. Some of them, we laugh together more than anything. Some of them really inspire me in the faith. We have the same occupation. We challenge each other. Some of them are, are really good at confronting me if I need to be confronted, um, but it's a healthy interaction. So I, I do that. So that's what I do relationally. Intellectually, I go back to Philippians 4.8 when Paul says, fix your minds. He's very, fix your minds on whatever is true, which blows out gaslighting, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of praise, whatever is excellent, whatever is lovely. Think on these things. And so if you're starting to think, man, I'm just so stupid, or why do I get into that? Yeah, I, I would encourage your listeners to say, you know, God has given me more discernment. Um, God has made me want to be a kind person. You, you might have to build yourself back up and it might feel artificial. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm a dad to two daughters. Nothing would hurt me more than listening to them berate themselves. And one of my daughters tends to do that. And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I, I don't want her to define herself by her worst moments or her weaknesses. Um, and, and so I think it's actually an act of worship. When you, Hey, God, you know what you gave me? I, I've got a pretty good brain. I'm thankful for that. Uh, I, I might have been gullible, but maybe it's because you made me sensitive and I care about mm-hmm. others. And, and you're just sort of recognizing who you are because you're building yourself up so that you can be used to bless others. It's, it's like an Olympic athlete. I know this one woman, she's funny. She she had to get 10 hours of sleep a night. She, she was a runner and she needed extra sleep while she was training. So at nine o'clock, if the friends were there, she went to bed. <laughs> you, you, you can stay here, turn off lights and lock the door. I, I, I'm going to bed. She had to take care of her body to perform at her highest as an athlete. Well, you're an athlete in God's kingdom. So you have to take care of your mind. You have to take care of her. You build it back up. An athlete fills their body with good foods, the right amount of proteins, right amount of carbohydrates, right amount of vegetables, not getting in a lot of sugar. Well, that you should think about yourself that way. Um, w- one of the chapters in When to Walk Away I've gotten the most response to is don't be toxic to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a huge thing for me when I realized I should never talk to myself in a way I would never talk to others. I, I can be brutal with myself. I would never talk to my wife that way. I'd never talk to my kids that way. I'd never talk to a friend that way. I wouldn't talk to some enemies the way I talk to myself. Mm-hmm. And I realized God hates it when anyone talks to me like that, even if I'm the one talking to me. And so again, it's an act of worship saying, no, I, I'm going to build myself up um, because I want to be available. Who knows? Somebody's going to call me in five minutes, really need some encouragement, uh, want to be able to show love. We, we know. We know if we're feeling sorry for ourselves, if we're feeling defeated, we're not thinking about others. We're thinking about ourselves. So building ourselves up isn't selfish. It's preparing us to be selfless. Mm -hmm. And we will dive into that being toxic to yourself in just a moment, because I definitely resonate with that. But I do want to go back to this idea of protecting yourself and protecting your mission. And I think so often we think, well, I'm supposed to be self-sacrificing. So I'm supposed to go and help people. And that might mean this person who's not behaving correctly. But what we do is we end up sacrificing really the energy, as you said, that we should be giving to those reliable people. And it was funny because at the time I was listening to your audio book, I was engaged in an exchange with someone and I was spending about 15, 20 minutes, like trying to craft and fix this email. And what did I want to say and explain myself? And then I heard your, your voice in my head 
spend your time on reliable people. And I was like, what am I doing? This is totally taking me away from the other stuff I have to do today. That is way, a way better use of my energy and my talent and all that kind of thing. So it was like, I deleted it. Didn't send it. It was like (laughs) good for you. And you saved another 15 or 20 minutes, right? And then they would respond and you might want to again. So yeah, for jumping off the crazy train. Yeah. But we have to, it's a gut check. We have to have, as you said, sometimes people in our lives that we can talk to that just keep us accountable or that we really should be pouring into, or they should pour into us. And I think the more we seek out healthy relationships and spend more time with those healthy people, the easier it is to, to sense when we're under attack and to just run in the opposite direction. Can I tell a story about that? Yeah. Um, The need to protect ourselves to help others. I think a great analogy is just being a lifeguard. If, if any of your listeners have applied to being a lifeguard, one of the first lessons they teach you is self-defense. Because when you go out to save somebody who's drowning, typically they might panic and pull you down. And so they literally teach you how to protect yourself because if the person you're trying to save drowns you, you're both going down and nobody's helped. And all the people that you could eventually save aren't going to be saved because you've been drowned. And I think that's the way we, we, yeah, we're lifeguards. We want to spiritually save people, so to speak. Not that we're the ones doing it, but being used to do it. But if we allow somebody to drown us at that point, we're not available to help others. And so I, I love the way you're going with this, Michelle, that it's, it's not just about psychological protection, even though that's worthwhile in itself. I'm Mm -hmm. not talking that down. It really is about protecting your call and your ability to be a blessing to others, to love others, to be a friend to others. And we have to be real. I mean, this audience listening, we're all single moms and we can't let toxicity take us away from the awesome ministry of raising our kids and the communities that God has called us to. And the greater ability we have to recognize that that is a ministry and it's beautiful in and of itself. Yes. The more that we would just say, that's, this is too expensive. This is too expensive to my energy, my time, my talent, all of these kinds of things. But when it comes to separating ourselves, there's an element of safety that we have to engage in here. So as much as we're talking about gaining our sanity and these kinds of things, there's also some safety that we have to consider and It's not something that we're always able to tackle on our own. So when it comes to that process, can you speak to our response and the role of safety and self-control in the process? Yeah. If I understand you right, I've I've had a couple situations as a pastor where I've counseled wives through a safe separation. I don't do it. I have them go with the counselor. It's it's a very important but a tricky thing. You need somebody who's experienced, which is usually a licensed counselor, not a pastor, Mm -hmm. and preferably somebody who has a lot of experience doing that. Where even in a couple cases, the woman would talk to her and say, you can't tell me where you are. I don't want to know because if they come storming into the church, I mean, I I don't want there to be any chance. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's recognizing that when you walk away, because toxic people, again, not all of them, but so many of them are really into control if they feel that control slipping, the toxicity increases, the abuse becomes worse. So you have to be wise, work with somebody, build that support system, have a plan and a strategy in place so that when you do walk away, they're not able to mm-hmm. escalate the harm that they're trying to do. So I'm, I'm glad you put that disclaimer. Um, we have to be wise and careful. Again, most of us, It's just hard to understand toxic people because we just don't think that way. Mm -hmm. How do you get pleasure out of terrorizing someone? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you get pleasure out of controlling? So uh, it doesn't make sense to us, but that's why we need somebody who's, who's seen it before. When I see somebody who I would call a saint, uh, that somebody just has this unusual presence of Jesus. It's amazing to me, men and women, the variety of their whole, it's just different that it's wonderful, but God doesn't use a cookie cutter with Satan. I feel like it's the opposite. If you've met with one toxic person, I feel like Mm. you've met with them all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so an experienced counselor, yep, that's what they do. And this is what they do. I even have one counselor one time said, okay, you're going to say this. He's going to come back with that. So you say this, he's going to, how do you know this? Scary. I've dealt with a dozen. This is what they always say. And it was right. It was like he wrote the script. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's where I'd say it's it's worth the counsel, the time, the money um, to get some experience and wisdom and, and to have a, a safe time, especially because you got to be there for your kids. Yeah. And I think, as you pointed out, when you're able to identify the patterns that these things take, that there are very specific and predictable ways that people may respond or just how they may jump out and come back or these kinds of things that when you see them coming, it makes it so much less powerful over you, so much less oppressive that you can start to kind of gain some confidence in your logic coming back online and saying, oh, no, no, I do see this rightly. I do understand the truth of what's going on here. And that's the Holy Spirit, though, guiding you in discernment to say, no, you do see, go for it. And so often in these relationships, we've been broken down to the point where we've kind of shut that voice off and we've we've just stayed for one, one reason or another. And a lot of times it is the fact that we just can't imagine that there would be a person who would intentionally get close to us for the purpose of gaining control or hurting us. And as it comes to the reason, though, why we may allow that, we've talked a little bit about gaslighting and deception and the fact that sometimes you just don't see it. There also, though, may be this component where we've become toxic to ourselves, as you mentioned, where we have, whether things in the past or things through this particular relationship are concerned, we have now internalized this voice that perhaps we're not worthy of more, or that this is something that we should come to expect. So when it comes to being toxic to ourselves, can you talk more about how that looks and how we can stop doing that? Yeah. I've I've met with some, and, and in the cases I'm thinking of, it, it was young women who um, had toxic dads, not toxic cousin, toxic dads. And they never ask themselves, what if my dad is wrong? <laughs> and they've, they've internalized the abuse and the shame and they've never thought. And, and I said to one, look, you know, to somebody like me, I might work next to your dad. I'd seen he's Joe lunch bucket. We would laugh at his, we don't think his jokes are funny. We think his opinions are crazy, but because he's your dad, you're giving him all this power. Um, and so they internalize it and think because my dad said, I'm this, I am this because my husband said, I'm this, I must be that. And, and that's where we have to realize they don't know what they're talking about. One of the things I've seen husbands use to try to terrorize Christian wives is you're not acting like a Christian. Aren't Christians supposed to forgive? You're not forgiving. When, when she might be applying very wise consequences and standards. Well, you haven't forgiven me. Forgiving doesn't mean you keep putting yourself up to be punched in the face again, or to be Mm -hmm. taken advantage of the way that you were. And, And what gets me so angry at this is that the husband doesn't really care that she acts like Jesus. A lot of times they don't even pretend that they want to follow Jesus. Sometimes they do. He's trying to use Jesus as a tool to control her. I want to get you to do what I want to get you to do. I know you're really into Jesus. So if I can make you think that Jesus would want you to do this, then maybe you'll do this. Mm -hmm. And I would just say that Paul's very clear. Jesus is very clear. Tree is known by its fruit. We should seek spiritual counsel from those who are walking with the Lord, who exhibit the fruit of the spirit. Somebody's opinion who isn't walking with the Lord of what they think Christians should do doesn't matter to me. It just, I, I, I can't respect that. And so I, I love um, Nehemiah's, the last verse in the book of Nehemiah that's really been encouraging to me when he's been slandered and his motives have been questioned and people have challenged him. And his last words are, remember me with favor, my God. We have to move from the sense of who we are, from what, from what others are accusing us of, to what the Bible says we are. And there's a powerful passage in Jude uh, where Jude says, you are called you are loved, and you are kept. And I love those three words. Every believer who's listening to us, by the fact that you're a believer, you were called, you have a purpose. When somebody says you're worthless, they're wrong. You've got the Holy Spirit within you. You're called not just to survive, you're called to influence, to serve, to make an impact. You are loved. If they say you're unlovable or nobody would like, they're wrong. Jesus died for you. The Bible says God loves us and you're kept. That means you're safe. They will threaten you. They will say you're ruined. They will say I'm coming after you. But there's another opinion 
It's our heavenly father, all of the angels in the heavens at his disposal, who says you will be kept safe. Um, and so one of the ways to release ourselves from the toxic attack of others is to stop listening to them, to start listening to scripture. I'm called, I'm loved, I'm kept. That's who I am. That's where I'm going to live. I love, I, it was a female classical writer. I don't remember who it was, but it was this, I am who God says I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's several hundred years ago. And, and that's where I think it's just a great exploration to go through scripture and write those down. And it, it's particularly if you've been verbally abused uh, and emptied out that way, just say, no, this is what the Bible says I am. I think God is right. And this person is wrong. And even laugh at it. I, mean, I, I think it's healthy to laugh at it. He says this, but God says this. I think God's got this one right. You know, yes. just to show yourself the absurdity because look, it, it's, a, a husband or a father can really do a number on if, if, if you internalize that message. Remember, they're fallen. They don't know what they're talking about. You can't let them define who you are. That's so good, Gary. And I think the thing that is even so powerful about this is even if we've left a toxic marriage, our kids might still be in the line of fire with a toxic yes. parent. And the best way sometimes we can equip them is to turn them to God through the word. And we think sometimes we have to have all the best words or send them to all the right counselors or those types of things, but the word already has everything we need for godly living and is just as powerful in their lives as it is in our life to turn us away from the destruction that the enemy would have for us through these lies and to the truth and the healing that's in that. I think being a single mom is just one of the toughest things. And I, I'm not just saying that because I'm just talking to you and and those who listen to you. I mean, I, I know how excruciating it is. What I wrote in one other book, though, was if you can't give your children two godly parents, give them one. Let them see the difference that a godly person has when they face their fears, when they face just their finances and the concerns of the day and the anxieties. It takes a while, but eventually your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be able to compare. Now, this is how my dad talked about my mom. This is how my mom talked about my dad. This is how my dad acted toward others he was angry with. This is how my mom acted. Eventually, they're going to realize what was the difference between them. Well, one worshiped God. One had Jesus in her life. One didn't. Well, who do I want to be like? Um, It's not it's not guaranteed, mm-hmm. um, but Paul encouraged Timothy, look, you learned your faith from your mother and your grandmother. Right. That's enough to set you on the right path. Um, and we would always wish that we could give our kids two parents who are following the Lord, four grandparents that are following the Lord, a neighborhood where everybody reinforces our belief. We can't always provide that. But what we can do is we can be the model that God has called us to be because of the Holy Spirit. That's enough. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 7 that, you know, one believing spouse brings a spirit into that home. That is such a critical reminder. Thank you for that. I'm so encouraged by you saying this. As we're coming to a close, I wanted to ask if there was just one more thing. If there was one thing you wanted a single mom to know, what would it be? Michelle, I think if there's one thing I would tell single moms, it's that you matter. So often I see they're so focused on what's going to happen to their kids some of them even, how do I get my crazy ex to, to, to reconsider God? How, how do I fix everything in my world? I applaud your sensitivity. I, I understand that. But I think God would have you know, you matter to me. Your welfare matters to me. Your peace matters to me. Your joy matters to me. I delight in you. I want you to have the best possible life. I want you to have an abundant life. Um, And I'm not limited in giving that to you. You've had somebody attack. You've had people take things away. God doesn't have a limited bank account. You can blow everything he's given you. God can write a new check. God writes new chapters. God creates new futures. And so while you're so busy looking after so many people and trying to hold so many things together, look up occasionally and let God give. Learn how to receive. 
learn how to be affirmed by God, accepted by God, encouraged by God, and let God birth new dreams in your heart. Um, it, it's just, again, it's, it's such good-hearted people that are always thinking, I want to pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out, which is wonderful, but open up your arms to receive so that you have even more to give. Mm, that is wonderful. Thank you, Gary. For listeners who want to know more about your resources, can you tell them more about how they can follow along with you? Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to my website. Thank you for asking. It's GaryThomas.com. So if they just remember my name, Gary Thomas, put a .com. Uh, it's got the books listed there. We talked about when to walk away. I've got other uh, books, Sacred Parenting, How God Uses parenting to shape us. It's not a how-to. Um, so things that might be relevant for them. We've got um, two blogs there on growing in Christ and, and, and relationships. And so they could check it out there. Fantastic. And I will have links to all of those in the show notes to make it easier for the listeners to find those things. But I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. As I've learned to identify and heal from toxic relationships, one of the things that has stood out to me is the importance of calling these things by their name. And I appreciate that Gary cleared the air when it comes to the difference between labeling and name calling. And the fact that giving the situation the proper diagnosis can help us to move in the right direction. After listening to this episode, I hope you'll take a moment to talk to God about those situations that you're facing right now that are really difficult and get a sense of where he wants you to be in relationship to those difficult people and what he has for you in the season ahead. As we wrap up today's episode, I do want to point out a couple of resources available in the show notes. The first is our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Going through the issues and things that we're dealing with as single moms in community is so valuable. And so if you'd like to join the Facebook group, all you have to do is search for Agape Moms on Facebook at Agape Moms, and then click on the groups tab there and submit a request to join the group. Likewise, if you would like to follow along with Agape Moms on Instagram, you can search for us at Agape Moms. Additionally, I now have a weekly video guided scripture meditation available for every episode of the podcast. And if you subscribe to the Agape Moms YouTube channel, you will receive notifications when those videos become available. And it's just a great way to start off your day with some encouragement from God's word and apply some of the things that we're learning here on the podcast. I also want to thank you for your subscriptions, your rankings, your reviews. It's so encouraging to me to see what God is doing in your life and to see him on the move, but it also helps other women to be drawn in to just what God has for them here as well. And as you move through the rest of your day or your evening, I just pray that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.